We're going to be continuing through our series in the Gospel of Matthew, so take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And the title of the message today is News That Prompts a Response. News That Prompts a Response. Hopefully, yesterday, as you were celebrating with your families, each of you had an opportunity to open up at least one gift. As a family gathered and sat in a circle, you probably went around opening up gift by gift. And as we open gifts, there are often a variety of responses as we pull out whatever's in that bag or in that box. Each of you know what it's like to open up a gift, and it's exactly what you wanted. It's, it's the, what you asked for. And maybe it's, it's someone who, who loves you well, surprised you with a gift you didn't even know you needed, but you open it and you are so excited. You know the feeling, right? You're full of joy. You're giving high fives to everybody. You're fist pumping. Maybe you're hugging everybody, but there's just a genuine thankfulness when you open up this gift. But we also know what it's like when someone opens up a gift and they don't like what they've found, right? And maybe this is more with with kids, but they open up the gift or maybe you open up the gift and it's not at all what you wanted. You didn't ask for this. And so instead of joy, the response is screaming, tears, crying, and I didn't want this, a bad attitude, pouting. This isn't what I wanted, and it makes everyone in the room feel uncomfortable, right? But as we get older, we also learn a different response to opening up gifts that we don't like. You know the gifts I'm talking about, right? The sweater your grandma got you, the copy of the thing that you already own, that thing that you just, you're never going to use, we open up that gift and instead of screaming or crying or getting upset, we just hold up the gift and we look at the person who got it for us and we say, thank you, thank you so much. But all the while, you're in your brain saying, I'm so disappointed in this. I can't wait to take this back and exchange it for something that I can actually use. Or I'm going to hide this in my closet so no one ever asks me about it again. Right? We all have different responses when we open up gifts. But the truth remains, when you open up a gift, there must be some sort of response. Last Sunday, we worked through the birth account of Jesus Christ. Matthew says that he is the son of David, the son of Abraham, and he has come to dwell among his people. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He has come to save his people from their sins. This is an incredible gift. This is why we celebrate Christmas. And you would think that the passage immediately following Matthew 1, the story of Jesus' birth, you would think that there would be a singular response to this news. And it would be one of joy. But that's not what we find in Matthew chapter 2. We find a wide array of responses to the news that Jesus has been born. 
We do see joy, but we see anger. We see apathy to this news. If you're here this morning, you've probably heard the Christmas story at least once, if not dozens of times. And so my question for each of you here this morning is, what is your response to this news that Jesus has been born? Is it joy? Is it anger? Is it indifference? Why would we have any other response than joy? Maybe it's because you don't know why this news is good, or you've forgotten why this news is good, or simply you just don't believe in the news of Jesus. But regardless of why, hearing the good news of Jesus prompts a response that leads to life or death. Hearing the good news of Jesus prompts a response that leads to life or death. And my prayer is that each of us here this morning would have hearts that would respond with joyful worship. So let's read our text together, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. God's word says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them, The exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being responded in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son." 
Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Hearing the good news of Jesus prompts a response that leads to life or death. And so this morning, we must first understand what makes this news about Jesus' birth good news. Let's not forget that the people have been waiting for over 500 years for a promised Messiah. They've heard all the prophecies. They have high expectations, but no one has met them. No one has come to fulfill these prophecies. They keep getting let down. It's kind of like that friend you have that keeps telling you, you have to see this new movie. It is the best movie that you will ever see. The plot is gripping. The camera work is cutting edge. The acting is incredible. Once you watch this movie, you will never want to watch another movie again. And so you say, okay, please stop talking about it, right? I will watch the movie. And so you sit down with these high expectations, and about 30 minutes into the movie, you begin to wonder, are, am I watching the right movie? This, is, this stinks. It's not that good. And our expectations aren't met. But we get to the Gospel of Matthew, and we read that this baby Jesus has been born. Is he really the Messiah? Or will Will he really fulfill the prophecies? Or will he just let us down like everyone else? But scattered throughout our text, we find these different references to Old Testament passages about the Messiah, and we see that Jesus fulfills every single one of them. He meets every expectation. So let's work through these together to see why the news of Jesus' birth is good news. The first one we see is that when the wise men show up in Jerusalem, they ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're looking for a king, a ruler, a leader with authority. And the first reason why Matthew shows us that Jesus' birth is good news is because Jesus is the long-awaited king. He's the long-awaited king. If you remember back in the Old Testament, the people of God demanded Samuel to set up a king to rule over them. And from that moment on, they were waiting for a king who would lead them to perfection, 
that wouldn't lead them astray. As I've been reading through the Bible this year, the last few months I've spent in the books of Kings and Chronicles. And if you've ever read these books of the Bible, you'll find that it's just story after story of one king who comes into power. They lead the people of God, sometimes okay, most of the time pretty bad. They lead them into sin, idolatry, wickedness, and then they die. And that's story after story throughout Kings and Chronicles. And with each king, the people ask, is this the one? Is this the king who will lead us and save us? But they're let down every single time. But not with Jesus. Jesus is the perfect, long-awaited king who will rule over his people with perfect truth, justice, love, faithfulness, righteousness, wisdom. He leads his people, and he never leads us astray. He fights for us. He cares for us. He never fails. This is good news. He's the long-awaited king. But he's not just any regular king. He's also the true and better David. And this is the second reason that Matthew gives us why this news is good news. Matthew has been building this theme already throughout the first chapter. He's been showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant made to King David. That he is the one who will come from David's line to rule forever and ever. And so Matthew continues to build on this by quoting from the prophet Micah. Look in verse 6. It says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus and David share the same birthplace, Bethlehem. Jesus and David come from the same tribe, Judah. Jesus and David are both shepherds. Jesus and David are both rulers. In 2 Samuel 5, 2, God says these words to David. You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be ruler over Israel. Do you remember what Jesus says of himself in John chapter 10? He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus is the true and better David. He's born in Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah, the ruler over his people, and the shepherd who lovingly leads, guides, protects, and provides for his children. This is good news, church. But Matthew's not finished yet. He shows us again another prophecy from the book of Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son. When the prophet Hosea wrote these words, he was referencing the people of Israel during their time of slavery in Egypt. They were living there under the rule and the oppression of the Egyptians, and by God's sovereign and powerful hand, he led them out in a miraculous fashion by Moses being their leader. 
And so when Matthew quotes Hosea, he's drawing our mind back to the Exodus in a very strategic way that I don't want us to miss this morning. Right now, we're not living as slaves. We don't live under another country's rule. We're not enslaved to a people. But apart from Christ, we are living in slavery and bondage to sin. The Apostle Paul goes even to the link to say that apart from Christ, that you are dead in your sins. So this news of Jesus' birth is good news is because Jesus has come to set us free from our sin. He's come to set us free from death. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, lives the perfect life that you and I cannot live. He dies the death that we deserve because of our sin. But then he rises from the dead, showing that he has complete authority over both sin and death. Jesus is leading a new exodus. He's leading his people out of slavery. And if you believe in Jesus and repent of your sins, you can be set free. This is good news. It's good news, church. Jesus is the king. He's the true and better David. He is the savior. This is why the birth of Jesus is good news. But how does that make you want to respond? Does that cause your heart to stir with affection for Jesus? Does that want to move you to worship Jesus the King, the Savior? Because remember, hearing the good news of Jesus prompts a response that leads to life or death. And in our text, we find three varying responses to this good news. The first response comes from King Herod in verse 3. When Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. Deeply disturbed. When Herod hears that there is a new king, we find a man not responding with joyful worship, but one who is threatened and afraid. Because if there's a new king, that means his throne is threatened. Someone's coming for his seat of authority. And if you know about Herod, he had a reputation of being a ruthless leader, even to the point of murdering two of his sons and one of his wives who threatened his throne. So Herod wasn't messing around. When he heard about a new king, he devises this plan to trick the wise men to lead him to the location of this child. He doesn't want anything to do with a new king. If we want to boil down Herod's response to this news in one word, we could sum it up with the word rejection. Rejection. Herod rejects this good news. 
Are you threatened by the news that there is a new king? Because if there's a new king, that means that you can't sit on the throne of your life. That you're actually not really in control. That you can't call the shots. Does that cause you irritation? Does that make you frustrated? Does that disturb you? That you're not in control? Because if Jesus really is the true king, then you're not the king. But what we do is that we resist this idea, just like Herod, that there's a new king. We say, you know what? No. I will be in control. I will rule my life. Now, you might say that sounds extreme. I am not Herod. I'm not going around organizing deceptive plans to murder people. That's not my response to the news that Jesus is born. Okay? You might not be enraged over this news that Jesus is here, but maybe you're indifferent to it. Maybe you're just apathetic to this news that Jesus has arrived. And that's the very next response that we find in our text today. Herod calls the chief priests and the scribes of the people to him and says, tell me where this baby is supposed to be born. Where is the king supposed to be? And these Pharisees and Sadducees, they pull out the scriptures the prophecies, and they say the baby is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now remember, they get brought into the palace to tell King Herod this, and there is a large group of strange people saying, where is this king of the Jews? We hear he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Now you would think that these religious leaders, these Pharisees and Sadducees, as they're reading the prophecy, they would say, whoa, they're asking about a king. They're going to Bethlehem. The scriptures say he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. You would think that these religious leaders would say, can we join in? Can we come with you and search out for this new king? But that's not what happens. What happens? They do nothing. They do nothing. They stay in Jerusalem. The wise men leave, and they remain with Herod. The chief priests and the scribes knew the Old Testament prophecies, but they missed out on Jesus. They missed out on him. And so you might be here this morning and you're not responding with this rage-filled rejection of Jesus. But to respond with indifference and apathy towards the news that Jesus is born is simply another form of rejection. It's another form of rejection. And I fear that this is where much of the church could find themselves today. You know the Bible. You know the Christmas story. You can actually say the right words. Jesus came and died for my sins. But it doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't cause your heart to long and worship the king. 
It doesn't stir your affections to praise his name and declare his goodness to the people around you. It's just a formality. It's just what I'm supposed to do. The chief priests and the scribes had all the appearance of religiosity and spirituality, but their hearts were hardened. Their hearts weren't changed by Jesus. Is this the way that you respond to the news that Jesus has come? But we find one more response in Matthew chapter 2. And it's one that I'm praying that we would all have this morning. And this is the response of the wise men. The wise men from the east joyfully worship the Lord. They joyfully worship the Lord. And as we read Matthew 2, there's always been a, a lot of mystery surrounding this group of magi. We don't really know a whole lot of, about them. More than likely, they were pagan astrologers. They, there were probably more than three of them. There's probably a, a large caravan of them. And more than likely, they didn't, get up, uh, didn't show up to Jesus' uh, house until he was probably one, maybe two years old. I remember growing up when my parents set up the nativity scene, they would always put the wise men really far away. And I was like, what are you guys doing? That, that looks weird. But this story says that they didn't show up until after his birth. And we don't really know about these, this group of astrologers. But we do know something. That they wanted to find this king. And they were going to do anything possible to get to Jesus. They traveled many miles to find this king. And when they found him... They worshiped him with joy. They laid gifts before him. They gave generously. They bowed before the king. They worshiped with joy. Is that how you're responding to the news that Jesus has come? Does that make you want to worship him and give of yourself to him? With each of these varying responses, there also follows a consequential result. A consequential result. Hear me out. With the rejection of Jesus, there comes death. But with the acceptance and worship of Jesus, there comes life. Death or life. And that's what we see in our text. Herod ragefully rejects this news. And what happens? He issues a decree that all the boys in Bethlehem under the age of two be put to death. Scholars say that most likely 15 to 25 children were put to death the night of that wicked decree. But Herod also dies apart from Christ. His rejection doesn't lead to the death of innocent life only, but also to his own life. But also the chief priests and the scribes, their apathetic rejection of Jesus also results in death. And we don't see this in this passage, but as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew, what we find is that these Pharisees and Sadducees, 
they become Jesus's greatest enemies, and they end up calling for his execution. Their rejection of Jesus results in Jesus's death, but it also results in their own death because their hearts were never softened towards Christ. But acceptance and worship of King Jesus results in life. And that's what we find with the wise men. They worship Jesus. And by the sovereign hand of God, they also protect Jesus from, from death. They preserve his life without even knowing it. Life comes when we accept King Jesus. If you remember back to Pastor Jared's sermon on the genealogy of Jesus, you'll remember that one of the points that he made is that God's kingdom is a kingdom for all people. And Matthew is continuing to show us this here in this chapter. Do you see it? The Jewish religious leaders aren't the one that worship Jesus. King Herod isn't the one that worships Jesus. It's the pagan astrologers from a faraway country who come to worship King Jesus. God is working right now to draw people from every nation to himself. My best friend and his family serve as missionaries in South Asia, and we were they, they serve with the International Mission Board, and we were talking last week, and he shared with me a story about one of his teammates in the surrounding villages and a lady named R. R recently came to faith in Christ, and she had some of her relatives over for dinner. And her relatives practiced another religion. They had been practicing this religion for over 40 years, and they worshipped a variety of idols and gods and goddesses. And they were discussing religion. And her relatives were talking about how great and superior they were in regards to all the other people in their village. We do everything to perfection. We're just so much better than everyone because of our religious acts. And as the conversation progressed, R felt uncomfortable. And she interjected and she said, can I tell you about my God? And they, the, the relatives looked at her. He said that they scoffed at her and told her that she was too young to know of God. They said, what do you know of God? So R took this opportunity to talk about Jesus. She shared about his sacrifice his promises in the Bible, his might and his power to save, his love. And as the relatives listened to our share about Jesus, about halfway through, they stopped her and they said these words to her. You have the spirit of God in you. You speak with boldness, knowledge, and understanding. You speak as one far beyond your years. Tell me more about Jesus. What do I have to do to receive him? I believe him. So R went on to explain how there was nothing good in her apart from the work of Jesus. And that they didn't have to continue to go on and do more and try to be better than everyone else. All that they had to do was surrender. 
to repent of their sins and to believe that Jesus alone could save them. These two relatives of R came into that home hardened against Jesus and rejecting him. And they left as followers of Jesus Christ that night. God is working to draw the nations to himself. And sometimes it's the ones that we never think will come to faith in Jesus that God is doing something in their heart right now. Hearing the good news of Jesus prompts a response that leads to life or death. So how should we respond today? I want to offer us three ways to respond. The first way to respond this morning is to believe in this good news. This morning you have heard that Jesus has come to dwell with us. Dwell among us and save us from our sins. He's the true king, the better David, the sinless savior, and he loves you. He wants relationship with you. And so if you are rejecting Jesus, don't do that any longer. Say yes to following him. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. Repent of your old ways, turn away from that life, and turn to Jesus. Believe in this good news. After the sermon, there'll be pastors down here that would love to talk with you and pray with you. But also after the service, if you have questions, don't leave here today with a hardened heart, but say yes to this good news that Jesus loves you and wants to save you. But the second way that you can respond this morning is to joyfully worship Jesus. Joyfully worship Jesus. Don't reject him like King Herod. Don't be indifferent towards him like the chief priests and the scribes. But joyfully worship him. And hear me, if you are in a season of discouragement and despair and you're finding it hard to worship the Lord, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to give you a heart of joy. Ask him to give you joy as you sing, as you read his word, as you cry out to him in prayer. Ask him to turn your mourning into dancing. And God will answer that prayer. He will give you a heart of joy. But church, let's joyfully worship the Lord today and every day. But lastly, I want us to glory in God's good plan to draw the nations to himself. Praise be to God that he is working right now to draw people from every tribe, tongue, nation, people, language to himself. And the scriptures say that one day we will stand before the throne of our creator and we will sing praises to him with people from all over the world. I'm excited for that day. And I hope you are. I hope you're taking opportunities to look around you and see where are ways that God, opportunities that God has given me to declare his goodness to the nations even right here in Raleigh. There are so many ways that God is working to draw people to himself. And wouldn't it be amazing if he, want, he was going to use you to speak the truth of the gospel to someone who would repent and believe for the very first time? That's good news. And he wants to use us to declare his glory to the nations. Hearing this good news of Jesus prompts a response that leads to life or death. So how will you respond today? 
Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this good news that you are the true king and the better David and the sinless savior, that you have come to save us from our sins. And Lord, I pray for all of us gathered here that we would have hearts of joy this morning, that we would respond with joyful worship as we sing this last song, as we declare your praises as a corporate family. But Lord, I also pray for those in this room that have rejected you, that have said no to you or are indifferent to you. Lord, I I pray that you would pierce their hearts right now. Lord, you can draw them to salvation. So Lord, do what only you can do so that you may receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, sing, and respond. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.